A few months ago, the country was fascinated by ESPN's The Last Dance documentary about Michael Jordan's final championship season with the Chicago Bulls. We'd arrive at the practice facility. It's our first official meeting as a team. Get the team handbook. Laminate on the front page. Last Dance. As a scholar of the 19th century, I immediately thought about all the dance scenes I've read in my field. What if we looked at how and why dances become these centers for narrative energy? In other words, these are the scenes that audiences tend to remember. They act as platforms for drama and courtship. But what did 19th century dances really involve? What did they mean? And by taking a deeper look, can we come to a new understanding of these dynamic scenes? A natural place to begin is one of 19th century literature's most memorable dance scenes from Jane Austen's 1815 novel, Emma. Just this year, in fact, Autumn de Wilde released a critically acclaimed adaptation of the film. For those of you who haven't read Emma or seen an adaptation, you may still be familiar with the plot via Amy Heckerling's wildly successful 1995 adaptive reimagining, Clueless. Basically, spoiler alert, a rich young woman ill-advisedly plays matchmaker while also navigating courtship herself. And the degrees to which it goes right and wrong illuminate both the dangerous play of the upper class, but also more generally the systemic cruelty that emerges from how the entire game of power, money, and courtship are inextricably bound together. Free will isn't impossible in such a system, but it is meticulously choreographed like some kind of, dare I say, Dance? <clears throat> um, move, moving along. The climactic scene of the novel involves Emma frustrated to not be leading the dance, but nonetheless getting to have the first two dances with the preeminently eligible Frank Churchill, who we find out is secretly already engaged to Emma's nemesis, sort of, Jane Fairfax, while also inadvertently hurling her middle-class companion Harriet into a world of humiliation by being turned down by Mr. Elton, only to be rescued by George Knightley, whom Emma realizes is actually the true object of her affection. And all of this happens in that one dance scene, simultaneously activating every major plotline of the novel, while also implying that so much more lurks beneath the surface. But what are the things that we don't see in that scene that nonetheless inform the deep suffering and sharp pleasures of each character. Especially for women. I mean, if you think about coverture, so... This is Dr. Pearl Chausenbauer, an associate professor of English at Notre Dame de Namur University. She does work on queering Victorian poetics of love and marriage, and thinks about things like intimacy and courtship among the poets. Under traditional English common law, an adult unmarried woman was considered to have the legal status of what they called femme sole, which is an Anglo-Norman phrase for single woman, while a married woman had the status of femme cover, which literally translates as covered woman. And uh, William Blackstone's 1769 book, Commentaries on the Laws of England, describes the principles of coverture in this way. So he writes, Quote, by marriage, the husband and wife are one person in law. The very being or legal existence of the woman is suspended during the marriage, or at least incorporated and consolidated into that of the husband. So, unquote. So, whereas a femme soul had, 
has the right to own property, make contracts in her own name. A femme couvert was not recognized as having legal rights and obligations distinct from those of her husband. And so through marriage, a woman's existence was incorporated into that of her husband. And it's worth noting that this matters in multiple ways for Emma. Beyond losing her personhood to a new legal status, her fortune, which allows her an independent life of making decisions, like how and where to take care of her ailing father, would also be given over entirely to her husband. You know, so for example, a woman who is being abused by a husband could not even sue him in court because she can't sue her own herself. Obviously, courtship decisions always have enormous implications, but rarely are the consequences of those decisions made as clear as they are in Emma. In the figures of Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill, we see one family that has fallen from its place in the community, and another that could be on the rise if the right pairing is made. Socially, Jane may be ranked higher by birth, but she does not have property or a fortune. Meanwhile, Frank is lower by birth, but has his charm and prospects. But the dance was not merely the marriage market. It was also a platform for establishing and expressing identity in terms of class and race. That's right, dancing operated as a code that transcended the particular moment of marriage, or even money, and was used as a way to think deeply about racialized ideas of sexuality, propriety, and knowledge, often in ways that seem somewhat counterintuitive. So the structuring of dances at the time would have been a really good example of scientific racism. This is Dr. Sabrina Gilchrist of the Groton School. Uh, people were depicted as more animalistic, passionate, less evolved, the closer they were to the equator. And so their dances were too. So for example, um, dances from Africa, Spain, Middle and South America were seen as too passionate because the people from those places were seen as too passionate, which was somehow twisted into making it seem like they were that way because they were closer to the equator. And because of the higher temperatures, they themselves were too hot and too passionate, and so that kind of spilled out into their dances. If those dances were appealing, <laughs> um, they were still brought into the English ballroom, but they were censored and modified to make them more suitable for civilized people. You see that language around the waltz. Um, when it was brought in, there was the proper English way to do it. Uh, you see that with some French dances. You see that with things like the tango and even something like the, the dip in a, in a dance, that it was aligned with the other, the racial other, and therefore was less civilized, more sexualized, and needed to be censored, criticized, and then revamped so that it could be appropriated into the English ballroom. There are some actually really horrific um, anthropological texts, um, as well as diaries from ship captains of captains and their crews kind of teaching the savages how to dance, and, the, and they also were learning dances from uh, the savages, right? So you've got uh, sometimes slaves, sometimes visitors who would dance on the ship, and then the crewmen would laugh at them and critique them and 
talk about how sexual they were. Um, but the funny thing is, is that if you look back at some of those early accounts, um, Africans who uh, were writing in English talked about how horrified they were at seeing the waltz where people would wrap their arms around each other, that that was seen as too intimate. And so it's an interesting spin to take a look at how European dances were seen as sexualized and grotesque um, in the same way that they tried to say that African dances were. Austin described herself as a miniaturist, interested in capturing the minute details of a social and historical moment. But in doing so, she actually also captured global narratives about civilization, power, and desire on the one hand, and the magnificently complex patterns woven to maintain class boundaries on the other. Okay, so it depends on the period and a few other factors. Um, if we're talking about the early 19th century, we need to remember that all dances were choreographed dances with intricate patterns and footwork. And so people would weave in and out of one another. Um, they'd have to touch hands at certain times, spin at specific times. And so it wasn't going to be like everybody just gets together and starts dancing to the music. There was really specific footsteps. Um, so that meant that those dances were limited to people who could afford dancing lessons from private tutors and teachers and had the time to practice some of these dances because they were complicated. Um, that meant that it kept the balls limited to the upper class until things like dance manuals, dance classes, and dancing masters began teaching the middle class so that would be more the mid part of the century, the mid part of the 19th century. And then you also had things like the polka and the waltz, which would have been easier steps that people could have picked up a little bit easier. The other piece that we need to think about with the early 19th um, century and the late 18th century is that in these dances, there was a very clear demarcation of status. So I've, if we've seen Pride and Prejudice or Emma or anything like that, you see the couples line up down the, the ballroom. They lined up in order of status. So what that means is if, for example, the queen was in the room, she would have the top of the ballroom. And then she would have the ability to request the dance of her choice. So if we think about this with Emma, we see this happening during the ball that is supposed to be for Mrs. Elton and Frank Churchill. Because she is a new bride and because this ball is in her honor, she expects to be at the top and call the first dance. Emma gets a little frustrated because she technically has a higher status in that town than Mrs. Elton. So technically, she should be at the top and choosing the dance. But it should have also been Frank and Mrs. Elton dancing together as the guests of honor. So they should have had the the position of distinction to begin, but Frank, as he usually does, bucks tradition and engages himself to Emma so that Mr. Weston takes Mrs. Elton to the top of the ballroom and requests the dance. So it's an interesting class dynamic moment that happens really, really quickly. And if you don't know about the idea of the top of the ballroom, it's hard to understand why Emma might get a little miffed that Mrs. Elton assumes she's going to be at the top of the ballroom when really, technically, it should be Emma in any other circumstance. Emma would most certainly have been of that upper class, 
Though it's worth reiterating that control over her own wealth was largely predicated upon her marital status. You know, the dowry situation is really interesting at this time too, right? Because the the women would have these dowries that they would bring into the their husband's family income. So for Emma, she had a dowry of 30,000 pounds, which would have been invested in government bonds that paid 5%. And so her annual income would have been about 1,500 pounds, which is, I would say, to around this this time to this day would be worth about $250,000 per year. What dances were being danced? Who was dancing with whom? The order of the dance? The frequency of partnering? And how the dance was proposed were all informed by enormous underlying cultural narratives. And all of these factors come to a kind of crescendo when Emma signals to George that she is ready to dance. With whom will you dance? With you. If you will ask me. You have shown that you can dance, and we are not really so much brother and sisters to make it improper. No, indeed. Many of us have come to know and love dance scenes as the romantic climax of a novel or film, where essential social and sexual undertones become public and visible to watchers in the text and readers outside of it. But part of what makes these scenes so charged is that they are also always caught up in the violence of etiquette, the imposed and self-imposed codes of race, class, and gender that set the narrative spinning. I wanted to say a profound thank you to Dr. Sabrina Gilchrist and Dr. Pearl Chausen-Bauer for volunteering their expertise and to the Journal of Victorian Culture for platforming the episode. I am including a list of works consulted on the site. something. I couldn't find a good place for it in the podcast, but I really wanted to include it. So I know you didn't ask a question about this, but I thought I would mention it just because I thought it was really interesting. Emma is one of the only, I actually think it might be the only Austen novel that mentions waltzing by name. And the timing of the publication is interesting. So I'm going to backtrack for just a second and talk to you about um, this London Times article that was published July 16, 1816, um, when a woman wrote into the publication and talked about how the morals of the society depended on the habits that they were making and the dances that they were dancing, and that as long as waltzing was confined to prostitutes and adulteresses, that the proper society didn't need to take note of it. But now that it's being danced in public ballrooms, how horrific, but they need to address it in order to fix it and prevent it from continuing. So that was written in 1816 and Emma was published in 1815. And I think that it's really interesting that the person that is associated with the waltz is Frank Churchill. So Frank being the one who bucks tradition, who goes against everything, who um, is pretty selfish and has the secret engagement with Jane Fairfax that he's the one who is associated with the waltz in two different locations. So the first one 
um, was at, I believe, Mr. and Mrs. Cole's party. It says, quote, the proposal of dancing, originating nobody exactly knew where, was so effectually promoted by Mr. and Mrs. Cole that everything was rapidly cleared away to give proper space. Mrs. Weston, capital in her country dances, was seated and beginning an irresistible waltz, and Frank Churchill, coming up with most becoming gallantry to Emma, had secured her hand and led her up to the top. So Mrs. Weston is playing a waltz. That doesn't necessarily mean they danced a waltz, especially because it said that he led her to the top. So it could be a country dance that's set to a waltz music, but it could also be a waltz dance because it would have been entering the country um, and danced in private spaces before then. And because of how many places he's traveled, he might have experienced it elsewhere and then brought it in and then encouraged Mrs. Weston to play an irresistible waltz. The other example of the waltz was actually also Frank Churchill, but with Miss Fairfax. So I'll read from the beginning of the chapter. He was very warmly thanked both by mother and daughter. To escape a little from the latter, he went to the pianoforte and begged Miss Fairfax, who was still sitting at it, to play something more. If you are very kind, said he, it will be one of the waltzes we danced last night. Let me live them over again. You did not enjoy them as I did. You appeared tired the whole time. I believe you were glad we danced no longer, but I would have given worlds, all the worlds one ever has to give for another half hour. She played. What felicity it is to hear a tune again, which has made one happy. If I mistake not, that was danced at Weymouth. She looked up at him for a moment, colored deeply, and played something else. So I think that it's important that Frank is talking to Jane at this moment, and that he's referencing a waltz that was done in Weymouth where they got engaged. On top of that, she blushes and then has to shift to a different song um, because she is, I assume, emotional, um, embarrassed, because it does mean something to her, thinking about that moment, and so she has that flush. Um, and I think it's important that she does blush because that's again, goes back to the language that was used in some of the medical journals that would signal that women were feeling sexually aroused because of the waltz. And so if he's talking to her about the waltz they had at Weymouth and that's where they secretly got engaged, I think that it pairs really well to show a few things. One, that Frank was flirtatious and ready to tempt and that he was experienced and well-traveled. And so he would have known the dance and would have excited over a dance that was sexually titillating um, and that he was kind of luring Jane into this as well. So I think that the fact that Frank is connected to the waltz at a time when the waltz was seen as lower bass, libidinal, forbidden, that of course that would make sense with Frank's character, and of course that would make sense with Jane, that that was how he kind of seduced her into uh, marrying him, and that their secret love and secret affair pairs really well with that with that waltz um, that was so sexually charged at that time, and and just critiqued and criticized relentlessly by people in proper society. Um, looked down on and, and ravaged for how sexual it was. <laughs>